Well, I love that bumper leading into this. The music is so great, right? It just gives you that sense that something is right around the corner. And that's a great way to start this new series called Ambushed, because we're looking at these things in life that ambush us. We uh, think about an ambush, we oftentimes think about a military tactic or maybe uh, a police maneuver where they set up a, a sting or surveillance and they wait to catch someone. And yet it's a whole lot more than that. Ambushes happen all the time in the lives that we live. For instance, you, uh, <clears throat> you go to get your car repaired, and then you show up, and they give you the bill. And that's like an ambush, right? You're shocked by it. You didn't expect that. Or you, you get that phone call from the doctor that you didn't expect you would ever get. Or you're in that meeting, and all of a sudden you're blindsided by your boss because the meeting that seemed you, didn't, you had no idea about was the... He was announcing that that's the last day you're going to work with the company. An ambush is that moment something happens that you never saw coming. It's that thing that sneaks up behind you and you had no clue that it was there. We think of it when we're surprised by the ambush that our spouse does by jumping out from behind the door to surprise us. Or maybe we're shocked by the ambush of that pickup th truck that didn't heed the, the red light and T-boned you in the intersection. Those are ambushes as well. We're shocked by those ambushes. Well, we rarely think about some of the most common ambushes in life when we're ambushed by compromise or by our pride or by cynicism, or disconnectedness, or emptiness. We never expected that to happen, but it did, and we never saw it coming. This series, this series looks at the signs we could miss that could have warned us what was coming up ahead. No one ever sets out in life and thinks, man, I hope at the end of my life that I feel empty or that I feel compromised, or I'm disconnected, or I'm irrelevant. But sometimes that happens to the best of us because we weren't paying attention and we find ourselves being ambushed. The good news is that you can see it coming. There are clues along the way that can save you from the heartache and the pain and the loss. And this series is for people who want to see the signs that there's an ambush ahead before it's too late. Today we're looking at the ambush of compromise. You've probably seen that if you've got a program you want to follow along. The first blanks are a key point that I think all of us need to recognize with regard to compromise, and that is that this, there is a subtle reality is that you and I have a tendency to drift. <clears throat> Most of us know people who have sold out, right? just completely given in to the dark forces of greed or self-absorption or blind ambition. We know people who've made moral trade-offs or they've given in to ruthlessness. And in the process, they threw integrity and character over the side. And if you don't know someone like that personally, all you have to do is do a quick scan of the news headlines on any given day. And it'll usually yield an athlete or a politician or a business leader who has done just that thrown integrity over the side. So how does a person get to a place like that? Because I don't know that any of us really go, hey, that's how I want my life to be summarized, summed up as. That's how I want people to know me. How does one end up successful on the outside, 
but severely corroded on the inside. You may sometimes look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. There's a sinking feeling that you didn't do what you should have done or what you said you were going to do. And you're not the person that you believed that you would be one day. There's that time when you were not 100% honest with that client or with those clients. Or maybe there was that time where you could have kept a promise, but you didn't. There was that, that moment where you realized that this porn addiction has kind of gotten out of control. You don't call it an addiction. It's just a problem, but you haven't told your wife about it. And the truth is you realize that deep down, even though you think it's no big deal, it is affecting the intimacy you have with your spouse. Or maybe there's that moment where you know you should have been more present with your kids, but you hide behind your laptop because it's easier to handle the chaos at bedtime and it keeps you from getting into another fight with your spouse. Work's just easier. And at least people there respect you, right? The subtle compromises that we make day after day, the rationalizations, the half-truths, the excuses we make, they create this gap between who we are and who we want to be. And a thousand of those little compromises lead us to being compromised. When I started in ministry, I had a very close friend of mine who was incredibly gifted. He was a great preacher, he was a remarkable teacher, he was a great musician. He had more talent in his little finger than I had in my whole body. And so he went out west and he planted a church and that thing just took off. And things were going great until the day that he was fired. See, his leadership learned that he was having an affair. And the ultimate results of that led to him losing his marriage, his ministry, and his source of income. And we scratch our heads because somebody with so much potential, how does that happen? Smart, skilled people with distinguished educations, incredible minds, finely tuned skill sets who are at the top of their fields, yet one after another, they're resigning or they're being forced out. It almost seems like it's on a regular basis. We hear about another CEO or, or top athlete. These people usually left their esteemed positions because of an addiction or an affair, an abuse, sexual harassment, embezzlement, greed, ego, or maybe just because they're a, a class A jerk. Athletes, politicians, business leaders, actors, moguls of industry, and even ministers all alike fall due to these kinds of issues year after year after year. And we admire people who are great at what they do, but I wonder what if competency isn't the thing that determines one's impact or one's success track? Highly competent people seem to be taken down all the time in spite of their competency. So if competency doesn't determine how far we can go, the impact that we can make, then what does? And I would, I would suggest it's our character. All the competency in the world can't compensate for the lack of character. You may be smart, but if people don't like you, they're not going to work with you. You may be the best in your field, but if you lie to people, no one is going to trust you. 
The lack of character kills careers, it shatters families, it ruins friendships, and it destroys influence. And your lack of character will limit the closeness and the joy and the depth of your relationship with God and with others. Character subtly sneaks up on us like an ambush. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, encouraged all of us to think about our own funeral. Kind of macabre in a sense, but he was saying, think about who's going to be there. Like, will your spouse be there and your kids and your siblings, maybe other family members, maybe close friends? You know, over the course of my life as a minister, I've had the privilege of doing a lot of funerals. And I'll tell you, I've never seen a son pull out his dad's resume as part of the eulogy to read how successful his dad was by reading the bullets on his resume. I've never seen uh, kids discussing their father or their mother's net worth while standing around the casket. And I can promise you, nobody, nobody who is close to you is going to show up at your life celebration and recite the sales stats from your final quarter Because at that moment, none of that stuff matters. See, when I meet with a family after a death, the legacy of that person who has died becomes apparent within, really, a relatively few minutes. And sadly, it's not always great. I remember 20-plus years ago meeting with a wife and her two daughters. And uh, we were there to talk about her husband and their father's funeral. And I said to him, tell me about your dad. And they started to kind of hem and haw around. And finally, one of them said, well, he was a tow truck driver. And that's being a noble occupation. Trust me, I recognize that. But that was all they had to say about him. So I thought, man, i got to prime the pump a little more. So I started asking them questions, you know. What did he like to do? What, did he have any hobbies? Was he a sports fan? Did he follow any teams? Did he, was, was he a woodworker? Did he like to garden? And they said, no, no, no. Oh, there was one thing. I said, what was it? Dad liked to watch TV. I thought, you know, the people who knew him best boiled his life down to just two simple things. He was a tow truck driver who liked to watch TV. Rarely at a funeral is anybody glad that he or she is dead, but they're not necessarily all that sad either. Any eulogy that you and I might hear is typically a highlight reel of that person's life, and sometimes that that reel is relatively short for a reason. When you're no longer breathing, hear this, the legacy you leave will center on your character. More than anything else, the legacy you leave will center on your character. People will remember if you loved well, if you forgave easily, if you cared enough to be there for them. They'll know whether your life revolved around you or whether you really tried to honor God by serving others. Most of us want the people who know us the best to love us the most, don't we? And yet, sadly, often the opposite is true. If you don't nurture your character, you can be most admired by the people who know you least, while the people who know you best 
struggle with you the most. You may be, as you think about this, discovering that that's true about you even this morning. You may not be who you want to be, but I've got some good news for you. The race isn't over yet. There's still time. There's, you're not done. You're not done. Now, there's a key point in all of this, and I want you to know that I'm not so idealistic that I'm not aware of this, but the struggle to be a person of high character is hard. Now, that may be so obvious that you go, right, why did you even have to say it? But it's a reality. It's hard, but it's doable. It's not impossible. Developing your character is never easy, which is why so many people abandon it. But it's worth doing. It is. It's worth it. Why is it so difficult to be who we had hoped we would be? Well, few people could answer that question better than the Apostle Paul. This guy was a phenomenal leader. And he talks about this in Romans, the seventh chapter. If you want to flip over there in your Bible or your, your tablet or smartphone. Paul was the guy who helped this group of fledgling group of Christians grow from being just a simple gathering who believed in Jesus and they rose from the dead to becoming an international movement within just a few decades. No one, no one, with the exception of Jesus himself, had more influence on the first century church than the Apostle Paul. So you think a guy like that, kind of the top of the heap, key leader, would have it all together. You would expect that he never struggled to be the person that God called him to be. And you would be dead wrong. Look what he says in Romans, the seventh chapter, starting with verse 18. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I don't want to do what is wrong, excuse me, but I do it anyway. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I think Paul pretty much describes the struggle that you and I feel. I know I feel it on a regular basis. We all have standards. We have these ideals that we want to live up to, but we live in the real world with real-life challenges. And despite the best intentions... We're all prone to compromise. Now, there are signs along the way that can give us a clue that we are losing to compromise, that we are drifting in that direction. How does compromise start? There's two basic ways. First, it starts intentionally where you say, I don't care. I'm just going to lie or I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do whatever I want. And that's one way. But that's not the most common way that most people compromise. Compromise doesn't begin that way. It begins more subtly, like drift. And before you know it, you were here, but now all of a sudden you find yourself over here. There are some obvious signs 
that a person is drifting in the course of their life. And I want to share those with you. First of all, there's a growing gap between the public you and the private you. There's a gap between the public you that people see and the private you that you know. Your character is compromised when you can no longer tell the truth to the world about who you are. You project an image of yourself that's not exactly accurate. Watch out for any gap that you see between what you say, your words, and your deeds. Let me give you an example. You talk to your your colleagues about how financial uh, responsibility is so important, and yet you know deep down your finances are a mess. That's a gap. That's a gap. Or you're the person who says people matter. They really do matter to me, but you never make time to help people in need. That's a gap. And you hate it. I know I do when I see it in other people. We call it hypocrisy, don't we? They say they're this way, but they're really this way. And we see it. You know, the, the, the word, English word for hypocrisy actually comes from the Greek word for actor. An actor was a hypocrite who wore a mask to portray a certain character in a play. That's why we call them hypocrites. They put on a facade. They put on a mask. That's what hypocrites do, right? They pretend to be someone that they're not. And it's easy to spot hypocrisy in others, but it's much harder to see it in ourselves. And the reason for that is because we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their actions. See, we have inside information. We know what we intended to do but we don't know about those other people. So we have a tendency to cut ourselves some slack, and we don't do that for others. Well, there's another sign that you're drifting, and that is you begin hiding things. As the gap grows, you don't want anyone to discover the truth about who you are. You're not this person. You're actually this person. So compromise eventually leads to cover-up. We should be reminded. You should ask Richard Nixon, how that works out. You realize that you're not who you should be. It wasn't that big a deal to start with, but you started lying about it for so long that now it's kind of a big deal. You tell the accountant, make some changes just in case we get audited. Or you, tell, you, you delete your browser history because you don't want anybody to know where you've been. Or you fabricate stories to conceal the facts. We start misleading and misinforming others whenever we feel ashamed about what we've done or who we've become. There's a third clue that we're drifting, and that is you failed to follow through on what you promised. Another sign of compromise is when you commit to things that you never actually do. You told your team the report would be done by this deadline, but it wasn't. And you were just too preoccupied, you tell them, with other things more important. <laughs> you know? Or you promised your spouse a date night, but it never happened. Why? Because you got slammed once again at work. If you think that the lack of follow-through involves, if it only involves little things, that it's not that big a deal. But you need to know it's exactly how compromise begins with little things. And enough of them, and before long, you say you're this person, 
but you're actually this person, and there's a gap there. There's another sign that you're drifting. You justify your bad actions and decisions. There's a certain point where if you compromise regularly enough, they, you're going to decide to stop trying to explain and apologize, and instead you're going to start justifying your behavior. Everyone in your field behaves this way, and if I don't do it this way, I'm going to fall behind. I'm going to lose business. Or, hey, you can't help that your marriage has grown cold, right? Every relationship goes through that. And you begin to believe that your condition is inevitable. So you blame circumstances that are beyond your control. And you convince yourself that if others were in your shoes, they'd do the exact same thing that you've done. There's another sign that you're drifting, and that is your life has become all about you. When you keep compromising, eventually you design a life that is almost entirely self-centered. Any value system worth having personally has to be focused in part at least on others and not just yourself. The problem is, is that people take time and they take attention and they take love and you just don't have the time and energy to do all that. At least not anymore. Paul explained that compromise is a staple of the human condition. It's part of how we're wired in many respects. We have this natural inclination toward compromise. Rarely will anyone ask you to develop your character. Instead, They'll just penalize you when you don't develop it. And they'll penalize you by firing you, dropping you as a friend, or divorcing you. You see, character development, for the most part, doesn't happen in some monastery out in the middle of nowhere. It happens in the grind of everyday life because that's where your character gets challenged the most. It's in parking lots, right? You want that spot. For me, it's that stretch of Liberty Road right before you get to New Circle. It just gets me all the time. It happened again this week. And I'm sitting there, you're a Christian. Beep, beep, you know. It happens in the boardroom during a heated debate. It happens during marital conflict at home when you're exhausted. If you don't have a day-to-day strategy to develop your character, You'll never win the battle for your soul. And you will drift from the person that you wanted to be to the person that you never thought you would become. Jesus said it was hard. He said it that, this way in, in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 14. He said, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. I think what Jesus was saying here is that there's a different life a life that's found only in completely trusting your character to God. I don't think what he's saying here is this, this life, this gate is, you know, you have, to, you have to find it, you have to go through this road to be saved. Jesus saves. I think what he's saying here is it's how we respond when we're saved. This new life is focused on letting God do that deep work of making you and I into that new creation that he promised. It's your character 
that gets reshaped from the inside out. And when that happens, your love will flow more deeply. You'll stop judging others. You won't look at a woman as an object and lust after her. You won't hate your neighbor. In other words, your life will look a whole lot like the life described in the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost as though Jesus were saying, once you become a follower of mine, it's then that you're just now getting started growing as a man or a woman of God. This is the lifelong process that the ancients called sanctification, one of those big theological words. It's the process of being made holy, of separating yourself from the things that destroy your soul. Paul summed this all up when he said this in Romans 7, 24 and 25. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the key, the key to having a godly character begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've never taken that step, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to join this family. I'd love to talk to you at the end of this service. I'll be right down here. Just come on down. This place clears out pretty quickly. I'd love to spend some time with you. Or send me an email, notes to Monty. Let's set an, set an appointment and get together and talk about it. Let me suggest this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you want to become a person of character, you're, you're, here, you're here, but this, this is where you want to be. This is where you've become, what you've become. You need to close that gap. How do you do that? Let me give you three Practical ways to reconstruct your character. The first one is this, take responsibility. Take responsibility. We blame circumstances and other people because it's easier than dealing with the issues ourselves. But blame is the opposite of responsibility. Progress begins with personal honesty. Those of you familiar with the 12-step program know that step one is admitting you have a problem. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, it's admitting this is a problem. It's my problem. I'm part of the problem. And admitting that is taking responsibility. As soon as you start to admit that you're part of the problem, you'll start to make progress toward a solution. You'll start closing the gap. The second comes from a quote from Steve Smith, who's our executive minister around here. And if you've been around him long, any time at all, you have probably heard him say this, make your walkie-walkie match your talkie-talkie. That's deep theology right there, folks, okay? Make your walkie-walkie match your talkie-talkie. What he's saying there is simple. Make sure that your walk matches your talk. Research shows that the average person hears as many as 200 lies a day. And 60% of people will lie during a 10-minute conversation, just a typical 10-minute conversation with someone else. And on average, they're going to they're tell two to three lies during that 10-minute conversation. Our words, they tend to drift toward exaggeration or embellishment, especially when we're talking about ourselves. So what happens when you are relentlessly committed to making sure your walk matches your talk? You end up changing your walk. The shame and humiliation of having to admit to people who are really important to you, who you respect, will motivate you to shift your behavior. You don't want to have to apologize again. You don't want to have to undo the lie that you told again. 
You might be afraid that people will think less of you if you admit your shortcomings to them, but actually the opposite is true. People won't think less of you when you're honest. They'll actually think more of you. There's a second way to reconstruct your character. Third way, excuse me, to reconstruct your character, and that is put your first, put yourself first when it comes to personal growth. And be intentional about it. You need to understand that it's not selfishness to prioritize your personal growth. Which is more egocentric? To compromise with over and over again with your coworkers or to set aside some time every single day to work on becoming the best person who of deep character and deep integrity that you can be. For me personally, I usually spend the first 30 minutes of every day in Bible reading and prayer. I'm not telling you that to make myself sound spiritual by any stretch. I follow a Bible reading plan from the YouVersion app. And if you don't have this, you should download it. It's, it's phenomenal. But I'm following a Bible reading plan that has taken me through a chronological read through the entire Bible in one year. This time will never happen. Trust me. It will never happen unless you make it a priority and you schedule it in your calendar, in your phone. You need to decide how you're going to spend your time before everyone else decides how to spend it for you. If that's your world, that's my world, trust me. So block it out. Whatever you need to do to ensure you have time to work on your character. Maybe you need to read a book. Maybe you need to watch some sermons or listen to a specific podcast or even go see a counselor. Whatever you need to do to get your character so that you're moving this way instead of this way, closing the gap. Whatever it takes, do it. I want to close by looking at what gets transformed in your life when you commit to this development of your character. What gets transformed is your honesty and your love and your kindness and your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, your humility, your compassion, your courage, faith, resiliency, patience, perseverance, self-control, self-discipline, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. And these are the things that form your character. And it's our character that determines how people will see us, what they think about us, and how they will remember us. It's the difference because our character is what causes them to lean in or to lean away. And especially for the people who know you the best, who know you the most, who love you the most, who care about you the most. Don't you want those people leaning in? It's your character. It's your character that will cause them to do that. And more importantly than all of that, it's our character that God is most interested in. So reverse the compromise that you've been making in your life, the drift that's happened in your life, so that your interior life will finally sync up with the exterior life you've been living, and you will be the person that you were meant to be, the person God intended you to be. Let's be that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the reminder today that for most of us, Compromise is something that comes subtly. It doesn't happen, it rarely happens suddenly or rarely happens, you know, all in one moment. But it happens over time and we 
we do see ourselves drifting away from that person we thought we'd be. It sneaks up on us and we find ourselves ambushed by it. If we've compromised in any way, God, I pray that you would reveal that to us right now and that we would take the steps to amend whatever it is. Maybe it's something we have lied about. Maybe it's a behavior we've been covering up. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a rudeness about us or a ruthlessness about us. Help us, God. Reveal those areas and give us courage to take responsibility. Admit where the problem is. Show us how we can make our walk match our talk. God, help us to make time for personal growth. Spend time with you. Allow you to do surgery on our, our minds and our hearts every day through your word and your spirit. We do want to be people of good character, Lord. Jesus said that the, that the uh, gate is narrow, the road is narrow, it's difficult. And there's a broad road that's really easy to travel. The choice is ours as a person who's been saved by you. How are we going to how are we going to survive this life? How are we going to live it? God, I pray that we would say, help me close the gap, be the person you intended us to be. And God, in the course of that, I pray that our light will shine brighter because we're more like your son Jesus. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.